There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back, Raider Nation. Welcome back, Southern California. It's time for Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thanks for being with us. We are Southern California's only all-Raiders talk show You can hear us here every Friday night at 6 p.m. You can also hear us anywhere you may listen to us. Make sure you check us out on the podcast feed. For those streaming on the Mightier1090.com or on the TuneIn app, whether you're in Saudi Arabia, whether you're in Southern California, or whether you're in New York State, you're here to talk Raiders football along with Scott Cobranson. I am your host. My partner, Mel Moten, is also with me. And Mo, this week, you know, it it was like being at a restaurant uh, that suddenly got new management and you walk in, there's new napkins, there's new tablecloths, and you just feel something different. Give me your initial impressions of the introduction of Dave Ziegler as general manager and the introduction of Josh McDaniel as Doug McDaniels as the new head coach in Las Vegas. Two words come up, uh, transparency and preparedness. And, I'll say Dave Ziggler was prepared. A lot of people thought he was a little inauthentic because he was reading off of a paper. But to me, when you have an intro press conference, you want to hit on certain talking points. And he did that. Seemed well prepared. Seemed buttoned up. If you want to run a smooth operation, I think he's the guy that's going to do that. Mm-hmm. With, with Josh McDaniels, talking about his failure to build interpersonal relationships in Denver, I thought that was important. And that's why the word there is transparency. He addressed that because I'm sure a lot of people asked him questions about that. A lot of people wondering what happened in Denver. Why didn't it work out? Aside from the Tim Tebow move, people are going to say, well, his personality, can he lead a football team? Can he be a leader of men? And I think him coming out in the forefront saying, I failed to build those relationships and the importance of those relationships. I, I thought that was important for him to come out and say that. It was. And I think that was, I mean, you and I both heard from Raider Nation in the lead up to the selection of Josh McDaniels as the coach of the Raiders, we heard a lot of reservations from people saying, well, it's a personality issue. It's a character issue. Going back to two items, one was, of course, his time in Denver and the fact that he didn't last there and and really didn't do too well, uh, clearly, as he was fired uh, and his first head coaching stint. But then, Mo, you look at what happened uh, after that, he goes to St. Louis, then he goes back, obviously, to uh, New England. But then he was offered an opportunity to go to the Colts, apparently, at least allegedly, said yes, then reneged on it on his way back to New England. And so I think that's where people were really kind of caught off guard on what is this guy going to be like? Is this guy we can rely on? And so I get that. But when you listen to him, and I want to play this clip, uh, uh, Josh McDaniels was on the Jim Rome show 
And so I want to play this clip and get your reaction to it because it has to do exactly what you were talking about, which is this growth, this idea that none of us are the same people we were 12 years ago, especially when we age and experience and learn from our mistakes. So here's Josh McDaniels talking about uh, where he is now versus where he was. The year I spent in St. Louis uh, right after Denver, um, you know, in 2011 was, I would say, very formative to me. I mean, uh, we weren't, we, we didn't have a great season. We weren't a great team that year, but I, I had a lot of time to myself and my family didn't come out for uh, five, four or five months and spent a lot of time by myself reflecting on, you know, the experiences that I had the, the previous two years and uh, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What would I change? How would I, how would I need to be different? Um, we really tried to evaluate and study the relationships that I built or failed to build and and um, and just really, it was humbling. Uh, took the took the time to try to do that. Really s- sought out some people uh, that had lived through experiences that were similar. Um, you know, people co- like to- Coach Dungey was very important to me then. He really shared a lot of experiences that he had had, and and many other people really were gracious with their time and wisdom that I didn't have at that time. And so um, I've really tried to implement those things in my life uh, as a person, as a coach. Uh, since then and, and try to improve in every way that I could and hoping that one day that I would have another opportunity to do it and do it right. Well, there you go. Josh McDaniels talking about how he's different. And Mo, to me, that that was a huge conversation. And he mentioned it, as you, as you said at the top of the show, he mentioned it during the press conference. But, I, you know, a couple of things really stuck out at me. One where he just said, the relationships I established and those I failed to establish. Um, that to me speaks, you know, the, the wisdom that you can hear in his voice and how he describes it is really significant. And for me, a lot of the reservations I had, and I know you had about Josh McDaniels, to me, uh, that's really encouraging to hear. Absolutely. And I think that was part of what my column delved into as far as my concerns about him. And it wasn't just one incident. There are a lot of there's been a lot of shady things he's been close to or involved with. Uh, the videotaping in New England, it was videotaping in Denver, as you met, as he talked about the failed relationships, the relationships that he failed to establish in Denver, backing out on the Colts. So it's not just one incident. There's a pattern there of just shady or unhanded things that happened around him or while he was on, while he was the head coach. So he had to come out and address that. And I think that's part of the problem with the Belichick tree. And I talked about this too in my column that people say, oh, the Belichick tree coaches don't win. And, and I will say Brian Flores just had back-to-back winning seasons with the Dolphins. Didn't go to the playoffs, but back-to-back winning seasons. Bill O'Brien won multiple division titles with the Texans. The downfall is their person, their ability to build and form and maintain personal relationships. Bill O'Brien had a rocky relationship with Rick Smith, the general, the former general manager of the Texans. That led to his downfall. And of course, the poor general manager moves that he made. Uh, Brian Flores, there are reports that he had a frosty relationship with Tua and general manager Chris Greer. Matt Patricia almost lost the Lions locker room after his first game as the Lions head coach and lead skipper. Uh, They they lost a big game to the Jets on Monday Night Football, and veterans were saying, well, we're not getting the results. You're pushing us hard. We're not getting the results. And he had to pull that locker room back in in order to get that team back on track. Yeah, yeah. No, and and that's the point. It's It's... The, the big criticism, and we, we saw uh, the piece uh, that, that I talked about uh, on a video I did this past week with, with Evan Grote about the lack of success of the disciples of Bill Belichick and the reason why. Uh, and you heard the, 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 listen, Josh McDaniels basically admitted he was immature. Now, 
you're talking about all Matt Patricia and all the other coaches that have gone on and not done so well for all the same kind of reasons. But but Michael Lombardi touched on it when he said that, listen, when you come in, you bring you bring with you a culture, you bring with you a point of view. And if you're trying to get people who haven't already bought into that or haven't already kind of committed to that and you're retraining people versus training them, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do and they have not been successful at it. That's where I think this situation with, with Ziggler and with McDaniels coming in together, and I did an interview uh, earlier this week with, with Carolyn Mano over at sportsnot.com about this to say, you know, this might be something we see more of in the future is GM coach going together because they have the same mindset. Not that a GM can't go hire another coach from another system and be successful, but this idea uh, that they are on the same page from the get-go and they know their roles, which are clearly defined, is really something interesting, Mo. Do you, see, do you see this as maybe being a model that catches on more and more? I mean, I think we see it already. I mean, usually when a general manager gets fired, the head coach goes with him. Now, not, that's not the case all the time, but you usually see that. I mean, I'm here in New York area where the Giants let go of their general – well, their general manager, quote-unquote, resigned – Dave Gettleman, <laughs> and they let go, and they let go yeah. of the head coach Joe Judge after people thought he was going to stay. Usually, you want your general manager and your head coach to come in at the same time, or at least be in lockstep. And Mark Davis talked about it during the intro pressure that you know he tried something with, with McKenzie and Dennis Allen. He said they were too young. Then he tried with John Gruden and, and Reggie McKenzie, and I knew from the get-go that that was going to be a disaster. A lot of people on Twitter were saying, no, John Gruden and Reggie McKenzie are going to get along just fine. No, when a new guy comes in and he's calling the shots after you've been calling the shots for years, mm-hmm. you're going to have a problem there. And we saw that relationship disintegrate, break apart. We're not saying that Reggie McKenzie or jo- and John Gruden came to blows, but in a work relationship setting, it just didn't work out. So Mark Davis said, look, this time around, I want to do it right. I want to get two guys who – Apparently know each other. They go, uh, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziggler go back to their time at John Carroll University. Um, we're together in New England. We're together in Denver. So these guys, they're going to have disagreements, but at least they have a working relationship and they know what it feels like to, to have conflict and they can work those things out behind closed doors. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that was the thing with John Gruden um, and, and with all due respect to Mike Mayock. You know, everybody knew. I mean, I, I always found it odd when I would speak to fans via social media or in person uh, when I was in Las Vegas and I would see them at events before the shutdown and all that stuff. And they would say, oh, well, you know, I wonder how much Mayock's doing versus Gruden. I'm like, no, it, this is all Gruden. It's not, it's, there's no, it's his way or the highway. He has full control, um, which is, which was interesting. The other thing with Josh McDaniels, uh, Amo, was this idea of, of why he chose the job. Why was the raise? Because we talked about it. You wrote about it at at length on both uh, Bleacher Report, which you which you can always catch Mo's work. He's a senior NFL writer there, but also up on SportsNot.com too. Was a, this idea of how appealing the Raiders' job was and why? So, in his own words, we go back to the Jim Rome interview, um, and here's what Josh McDaniels said about why he chose the Raiders as his next opportunity. He didn't necessarily think, as he said in the previous clip, that he might get a second opportunity as a head coach. But when the the, the opportunities presented themselves over the last few years, he waited 
and he chose Las Vegas, and here's why. I think I was I was always looking for um, you know a, a combination of things, and it starts with the owner. Um, and Mr. Davis made a, a tremendous impression on me right away. Um, he was very clear with his vision for how this works here, uh, what he's what he looks for from his head coach. Um, their commitment to excellence is real and authentic. You can see it in every corner of the building, um, every spot in the stadium, which I was, I was able to, to see the other day. Um, all the people I've met have been tremendous. And uh, to have an opportunity to partner with somebody that I'm familiar with and Dave Ziegler, um, that was an important part for me. And, and knowing that I, I speak the same language, we trust each other, there's a synergy that's already there. Uh, we can challenge one another. Uh, we can disagree and figure out a solution to it. Um, and then, the, you know, the quarterback and the team. You know, and we all know the quarterback is such an important uh, piece of, of each team in the National Football League. And uh, Derek's won a lot of games here for a long time and, um, you know, and, and got a lot of football left in him. So um, this is a team that qualified for the postseason uh, last year. And, um, and we're looking forward to, to getting started with the process of trying to improve that team. But those are the main things that went into it. And uh, I'm excited to be here. All right. So there you go, uh, Derek Carr. We have to talk about Derek Carr again. <laughs> where, where, I, I, you, I don't say that as a negative. Are you going to avoid that? Well, no, we're never going to avoid, avoid that. No, we're not going to avoid it. And the other thing there, though, is, um, you know, I, all of the intent, all of the things. In fact, he probably he could have if we went back in time, he could have written your column for you where you talked about why the Raiders were appealing job. Yeah, and I talked about some people pushed back and said, no, they're going to trade their car. I mean. Let's just put something out there. They're not going to tell you what their plan, their quarterback plan, or whatever plan they have in the intro press conference. So they're going to be very careful about what they say about Derek Carr and how they approach their relationship with him. Basically, they said they're just going to feel him out and see where it goes. But if you listen to the interviews and you play some of those uh, parts of them, they they seem pretty much bought in that Derek Carr is the guy and he that he was part of the reason they came there. Because if you, as I said in my column, a lot of these head coaches. Their success and failure depends on the quarterback. So if you don't have a good quarterback situation, tough sledding for you. But if you can get a situation, a team that has an established quarterback who's a top 10, 11, 12 quarterback in the league, then you you have a good chance of, of succeeding with that team, especially a team that just went to the playoffs. So Derek Carr is part of the reason Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are in Vegas right now. Yeah, no question, Mo. And I think that you, you, you look at this, and also Ziegler during the press conference, the reporter is in the room, asked him about Derek Carr, specifically about Carr's future. Was an extension his priority? And his answer basically satisfied haters and lovers. And, and the reason I say that is because what he said to your point that you just made so eloquently, my friend, about they're not going to tell you everything they're going to do in the press introductory press conference was he said, look, we're getting to know Derek. We're going to sit down and talk to him. And, and he praised him for what Derek Carr is and what Derek Carr d- has done, which he absolutely deserves. But then he was very quick to say, look, but we're going to sit down and talk about what, what our philosophy is, what we're going to do, and, and how that works, and if that works together. Now, is that an opening that it might not work? Absolutely. Somebody asked me today, what do you think? What's the chances? I was with my friend Carrington Harrison in Kansas City on the radio. He said, what's the chances Derek Carr is a starting quarterback? And I use the same answer I gave you last year, which is 90%. There's always a 10% chance something could pop up. Somebody offers me, as somebody said on Twitter the other day, a Herschel Walker deal for Derek Carr. I might do it. But 
in the in the in the situation where you don't get something crazy like that, he's a good starting quarterback. What you don't want, there's plenty of problems on the Raiders. What you don't want is another one, especially at that position. The only thing that I could see that possibly gets Derek out of Vegas is if his contract demands exceed what they are expecting. Good point. That is the only that is the only way I see Derek Hart not being the starting cornerback of the Raiders. If he demands something, they're like, "Whoa, we're we're not comfortable paying you for that long term. We we'll rather look elsewhere." That is the only that is the only reason that that situation could fall apart. Otherwise, as you pointed out, and as I wrote in my column, Derek Carr is the reason they're there, and that's that's who they're going to build around. And if you listen closely, and I looked at Twitter to see what the reactions were going to be, <laughs> and as you said, it's funny. The haters are saying, "See." He's leaving the door open for a trade or to move Derek Carr. And the and the Derek Carr stands are saying, see, he's speaking confidence into Derek Carr. He wants Derek Carr. He wants Derek Carr as his quarterback. They're going to build around him. And it was, and that's what a GM is supposed to do. You have to get up there and you have to speak in terms of not definitive terms, but just, just leave doors open because you have pending negotiations coming up. So you don't want yeah. to say anything that give that agent some leeway at the negotiating table. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, and that's that's the key. And and we'll see how it goes. And we'll we'll talk a little bit in the next segment about Derek Carr, about longevity, and what's coming down the pike as we roll on here with the silver and black tonight, only on the Mightier 1090 ESPN radio. When we come back, uh, we are going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some of the roles that have been filled with the Raiders already, coaching staff, another front office position. We'll get into that. We'll also talk a little bit about, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Rich Bisaccia and the players still kind of talking about how they would have liked him to be coach. Is that a problem? And then what about the AFC landscape? Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler on board now. How does that do for the Raiders when you start looking at the competitiveness in the AFC? You're listening to Silver and Black tonight, of course, only here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN radio. Make sure you check us out online, silverandblacktonight.com, where you can always get archive version of the show. Also, do us a favor, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast feed. That way, if you somehow miss it because you're out on a Friday night, uh, big night on the town, out with the significant other, then you can always catch it uh, on your favorite podcast feed, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it. That's where you can find us. All right, we're going to talk more Raider football, but before we cut to our break, I want to talk to you about something really important to me, not only as a kid, but as an adult. I was a youth sports coach for 23 years, and there's nothing more important, I believe, for kids than being able to go out and play sports. Well, you know how it is today. It's really expensive. There's a lot of kids. Families are struggling to get by, especially after what we've been through in the last couple years. And I'm calling on Raider Nation. I need your help. I need you to help me save youth sports. I'm calling on all of you youth sports champions out there to join me on March 3rd, 5 to 7 p.m. at the UNLV Student Union in Las Vegas for an evening of celebration, youth development, and impact at the Greater Youth Sports Association's Saving Youth Sports Character Night and Silent Auction. I'm telling you, this is going to be a great night with an amazing cause. The night will feature guest speakers from the professional sports community in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, you name it, and a silent auction all coming together in the name of Saving Youth Sports. 
All proceeds from the night go to supporting Greater Youth Sports Association, and you got to get involved. I'm telling you, Raider Nation, there's nobody better. There's no better fan base at coming together to help youth sports than Raider Nation. Get involved. Call Devontae Woodson, Coach Devontae, my man, uh, and you can uh, give him a buzz or you can actually email him, Devontae, that's D-E-V-O-N-T-E, at greateryouthsportsnv.org. That's the Saving Youth Sports Night uh, out at UNLV. It's the Character Night and Silent Auction event, March 3rd, 2022, 5 to 7 p.m. at the UNLV Student Union. Union. I'm going to be there. I hope you're there. We need your help, folks. I mean, listen, you guys can do this. You can help. I know you might say, hey, I live in California. Uh, I live in Southern California. I live in Northern California. I live in Arizona. It doesn't matter. If you are in uh, in in the way of being able to help out, I ask you to do so. This is a big deal in Southern Nevada. The Raiders are doing a lot in the community, and Devontae Woodson is just an amazing young man, entrepreneur, uh, but more than anything, with Greater Youth Sports Association, he does so much to help kids, and we need your help to help them. So get, make sure you drop him an email, Devontae at great, greateryouthsportsnv.org. March 3rd, 2022, it is the Youth Sports Character Night and Silent Auction event. Don't miss it. All right, Raider Nation, we're going to pay some bills. When we come back, we're going to roll on as Mo and I continue to talk about the Raiders, continue to talk about the new GM, the new coach. Raider Nation, don't go anywhere or we will find you. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Now back to Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Roll on. We're back. Silver and Black tonight only here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with here with you here, if I can get it out, talking Raiders football on this Friday night as we roll into everybody's favorite game, of course, the Pro Bowl. Yeah, right. This weekend out in Las Vegas should be a fun time as we then get set next weekend for the big game here in Southern California in Los Angeles. That, of course, the Rams versus the Bengals in the Super Bowl. And Mo, let's talk a little bit about Dave Ziegler. He did not waste any time. Uh, by Thursday, we heard of a, a big move. If you remember, one of the, the, the gentlemen who interviewed uh, one of the candidates for GM with the Raiders was Champ Kelly from Chicago. Well, they must have been impressed. Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler must have had their eye on him because on Thursday they named him a new position, assistant general manager. Champ Kelly comes in uh, from Chicago to do that. Also rumored not a done deal yet is Sean Desai as the defensive coordinator coming from Chicago as well, and we'll talk about that. So let's start with Champ Kelly, Mo. Um, this was an unexpected move. But I don't think a bad one. I think it shows Dave Ziegler wants to have good personnel people around him. Whether or not Champ Kelly is the best uh, player personnel guy, I guess we could argue about. What do you like about that move? Uh, What does it tell you about how this front office is going to operate? First of all, it tells me the front office is going to welcome other voices. Uh, Dave Ziegler is not going to run a shit where it's my way the highway and I'm not going to listen to anyone else. John Gruden. But um, he's going to (laughs) listen to other voices around him. And I think Champ Kelly is another up-and-coming front office executive that could help him out and build that roster coming over from Chicago. 
Chicago Bears have had some pretty decent draft picks, even in the later rounds. They, they got Eddie Jackson in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Kyle Bilal Nichols is still there in Chicago. I mean, he was direct. I believe he was director of player personnel. So they turned a guy like Mario Edwards, who Raiders fans are familiar with, into a decent player when he got to Chicago. Roquan Smith, of course, drafted in the first round, turned him into a, a pretty good player if you haven't seen him. But uh, Champ Kelly coming over, I think, is a good pickup for the Raiders. And I think it adds to that front office and as another perspective other than Dave Ziegler's voice. I think that's important. Uh, and so then we look at the other the other coach that was retained, um, or I should say the other the only coach that so far has been retained, although Raider fans seem to want to retain everybody, uh, which is really interesting, uh, is Edgar Bennett, wide receivers coach. And it's really interesting because I, I'm not in any way disparaging Edgar Bennett, uh, but a lot, of, a lot of folks were talking about what a great job he's done with Hunter Renfro, and some others, um, and I don't know. I'm I'm not that convinced. I'm not saying Edgar Bennett's not a good coach. I think Hunter Renfro developed Hunter Renfro. Uh, if you know anything about him, I look and and they talked about Henry Ruggs and his development, of course, before um, his accident. But if you look at what happens uh, with that receiving core, yeah, you can see some improvement from Zay Jones. Not enough for me to be convinced, Mo, because he's not. there's not a level of consistency there yet. There was towards the end of the season, so maybe that's maybe he's turned the tide. I don't know. But you look at Brian Edwards, who had struggles, still not a player that we thought he was going to be, and I didn't see anybody else come out of that group that really impressed me. So when you look at a situation with Edgar Bennett, um, keeping him in place, uh, I think it's a fine move, but I don't think it's anything that's uh, game-changing for the Raiders. I wouldn't say game-changing, but I'll push back a little bit and say, I think every player benefits from good coaching. Mm-hmm. Whether you, Remember, Hunter Renfro was drafted in the fifth round. Yeah. So apparently, you know, mo- all the teams in the league didn't think much of him. <laughs> yeah. He hadn't had a 1,000-yard season in his in his career until, until this year. So I'll give the credit to Edgar Bennett there for developing Hunter Renfro, for getting Zay Jones on track toward the end of the season. Yeah, it came late, but it, eventually they needed him. And when he came through at the end of the season, that's when the Raiders were on their win streak. So they needed that. So I will give some credit to Edgar Bennett, but to you, I'm not, I'm not doing cartwheels over this, but I think it's a good hold for the Raiders. Yeah, and and I think too, you you want it. To me, it's a good move from the standpoint too that uh, holding over one guy because they did they did end the season on a positive note, and so I think you know you look at personalities, you look at how that room is, uh, knowing that they're going to get a, they're going to get more wide receivers in that room, probably young wide receivers, I would imagine. So so yeah, so not not anything uh, that I look at as as a, a negative, but certainly. Uh, a move that they felt was important there. The other thing we talk about coaches being retained, Mo, and I look at the situation with um, with the Raiders, and of course there was a lot of conversation around the fact that Rich Basaccia, the players, went to bat for him, and that that they wanted to see him retained. Um, Hunter Renfro did an uh, interview at the skills competition for the Pro Bowl on Thursday, where he said, "Hey, listen." You know, we love Coach Rich, uh, but we're also excited to work with Josh Madden. I think he gave the right answer. Max Crosby's still a little tepid in his response, although he said there was no disrespect intended to his new coach, that uh, that they uh, just wanted to stick up for a guy that they loved, right? And I understand that. You you develop relationships, and those are very deep relationships. Um, But I think that this team, you know, they went from the John Gruden situation where we heard towards the end there too about how John Gruden may have 
really been hard on this team towards the end of the season, which is why we saw those end of season swoons that he actually got more restrictive and more disciplined as the year went on. Then you switch to Basaccia, who's the good cop, the nice guy, the guy who's going to give you the hug, the guy who's going to be emotional with you after everything the team went through, which is the right thing at the right time. Now I have the sense that these guys, you know, they had it a little relaxed and now they know they're going to get a swift kick in the ass. And so now they're, they're a little tepid because they don't know him. He's not a Raider. He didn't come from the system. What do you make of the whole discussion? Uh, and do you make anything about it? Or do you think it's just a, a momentary, uh, uh, I think, period of time where these guys are just getting ready to adjust? Here's where I provide a little bit of context to all this. Mm-hmm. I read Mostradamus. Yes, I read Vic Tafer's column on The Athletic. Shout out to Vic Tafer. And <laughs> they spoke to Mark Davis after the intro presser. And Mark Davis said that the comments toward Rich Basaccia, and this is not to disparage him, he said the public comments were all positive and all mushy-gushy and all that. I'm using mushy-gushy as my words. But basically all the public comments that came out by Rich Basaccia were strong positive. But he said privately it wasn't unanimous. So mm-hmm. maybe there, so there were some players in there who weren't as outgoing and wanted to say, oh, Rich Passage is our guy. Maybe there were some players in there who, who didn't feel as strongly about that. So you got to be careful about taking public comments from a group of players and saying, okay, that's how the whole team felt. Because by, according to Mark Davis, that's not how the whole team felt. Right. So what I, so I was, will say, while Derek, was the leaders were outgoing and saying, Derek Carr and Max Crosby saying, yeah, we want Passage back. You have to look at it from the totality and say, well, what did the team think behind closed doors? What were other players saying? So there are all the voices out there. I'll just say that. But I will say this, too. Rich Basach has a quality that head coaches need, and you have to be able to connect with your players. And we talked about this at the top of the show with Josh McDaniels. That's where he failed. Yeah. So basically, Rich Basach's strength is Josh McDaniels' weakness. So you're swapping that out, hoping that Josh McDaniels' X's and O's and his ability to keep the offense flexible outweighs what rich basaccia bought now to the team now rich basaccia reportedly interviewed for the jaguars job he could be the bears special teams coordinator which would be an interesting swap so he's getting offers out there so apparently he did a good enough job to get looks elsewhere yeah and good for him i mean that was the only opportunity i saw that has been presented to him so you know i i wish him the best of luck uh, they they certainly need a good guy down <laughs> after what they went through in Jacksonville. They could use a Rich Basaccia, that's for sure. But in that same piece by Vic, uh, which was very, very good, uh, and I credit him for getting and doing old school reporting and hanging out longer than the other reporters, so he got some nuggets as well. Um, and that was, he talked about Basaccia and Mayock and hey, you know, the goal was to make the playoffs. And so that's why a lot of people thought, well, geez, these guys might stick around because that was the goal. And I'm going to read it right from the the story here because uh, this is also insight. We don't get a lot of insight into Mark Davis, the owner, and what he's like. We know everything there is to know about his dad, of course, his late father, Al, but we don't know everything about him. And here's what it said. It said, and I'm, I'm leading into this uh, because Davis thought they should have beaten the Bengals in the wild card round. Penalties, bad timeouts, and a final play in which Zay Jones ran his pattern five yards short and Derek Carr rushed to make a throw when he had time leave a bad taste in your mouth after an impressive, resilient season. Davis didn't say that, to be clear. It's just my read of the room, Vic says. Back to Sunday's playoff game and the Chiefs' gaff, And he talked about how Bisaccia would was texting him about that. And it, he also mentioned in the story, which was really interesting to me, Mo, that um, Davis will often, after games, go into the coach's room 
and give the uh, give the coaches some 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 lip if he feels like things didn't go well. Mark Davis clearly does not like when things go poorly. Uh, that does not mean he is Jerry Jones, of course, when it comes to to to, to tinkering with things that are going on. But this is something that people, I think, a lot of people dismiss Mark Davis as a boob, and they don't think of him as this. But he's a guy who wants to win. He's a guy who's going to go in and tell his coaches when he's not happy. Basically, what I got from that column was the loss to the Bengals wasn't good enough for Mark Davis to keep Basaccia and right. Mayock. He expected more, and he felt like that team, that Raiders team, should have beat the Bengals in the wild card round, and we could have a different conversation going into Super Bowl week next week. So... I think Mark Davis, as you said, is not this aloof guy as many people think that he's so hands off. I, I think he he gives coaches his opinion. And I think Vic made a comment about uh Basach's decision to kick a field goal down 35-0 to the Chiefs that week, that last in that last meeting. And basically M- Mark Davis wasn't happy about that. That's what Vic said. Yeah. So th- there are comments or stories and reports out there that Mark Davis We'll let you have it if he doesn't like what's going on. And I think he expected more. Even though the Raiders went through all of what they went through last year, all the chaos, he wanted more. And I, and I tweeted about this after the intro presser. Dave Ziegler had a look on his face after he was asked. I believe Sam Gordon asked this question, reporter. Asked this question about to Dave Ziegler about, you know, what do you think about this Raiders team going 10-7 and 7 and going to the playoffs? And basically he, he frowned up his face and was like, you know, good job. And I, and I tweeted this and I said it was kind of like a parent who looks at a B plus or a B on a report card pointing an A. And it's like, yeah, good job, but you got we got to do better. Because basically the, the question was framed, how close is this Raider team to competing with the Bills and the Chiefs in the conference? And if you want to compete with those teams, you got to be a lot better than 10 and 7 and get into the playoffs on a four-game winning streak. And I think Dave Ziegler understands that, and he he phrased that during the intro press conference. It's a great observation, Mo, uh, and I agree. And that's the one thing, too, that, I, that I've seen, uh, I think, from, from Raider Nation in this transition period is they kind of get ready to say goodbye to the coaches they've gotten to know over the last three or four years um, and the coaches that will be coming in with Josh McDaniels at the head of that. And that is this idea that, you know um, – the playoffs for a team that's only been there seven times in 31 years, I get that from a fan perspective, hey, cool, we got to the playoffs. And Raider Nation should feel good because this team is not in disarray. This team is not a complete rebuild, as so many said during the press conference as well. But at the same time, I, as somebody, if I'm sitting in that room and I work for the team or I play on the team, Mo, and I hear our general manager, or I see his body language when somebody says, hey, you won 10 games, you made the playoffs. And he kind of like, eh, good, but not good enough. That's exactly what I want to see, because that to me is what the Raiders have been missing. And frankly, under John Gruden, I always felt John Gruden made a ton of excuses. Whenever this team performed poorly, whenever they drafted poorly, players didn't live up to their potential or their billing, there was always an excuse. I don't get the sense that we're going to get excuses from these guys. Here was my issue with John Gruden. I understand he's going to point out some of the things that happened during the season, but when things didn't go right, he would always say, well, we had an injury here. This guy had COVID, didn't play. You, you got to get past that because every team is dealing with the same issues. Every team's got injuries. Every team's going to had a COVID, had a play out due to COVID or something happened during the week. You have to overcome certain circumstances. And I felt like when things didn't go right for the Raiders, Gruden would fall back on those excuses and say, well, this is why we didn't succeed. And this is why it didn't happen. Now, he would finish off and say, we got to do better. But I don't want to hear about all the injuries. 
I don't want to hear about all the COVID stuff. I don't want to hear about why you couldn't get the job done. Just get the job done. I think that's what Ziegler and, and Josh McDaniel is going to harp on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, and you're right. I mean, that's the thing that, and, and I think I told you this during when Gruden was still coach that it would just drive me nuts when, when, oh, that's on me and this is on me. And it's like, well, but then in the next sentence it would be, yeah, but you know, how many teams have had their whole offensive line out with COVID? It's like, well, yeah, but you violated contact tracing rules for the NFL. Like, you know, there was all of these things and it just felt like excuse after excuse. Now, I'm not saying all coaches don't make excuses because all coaches, even the really great ones with the media, have a tendency to look at us who cover the sport and say, you guys, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you, you're not in the in the pit of battle. You're not doing what we do every day, which is true, but they don't always like to be forthcoming. I just get the sense too, you know, Josh McDaniel, I, I saw people too, Mo, talk a lot about, oh, he said a lot of ums. And he, yeah, Josh McDaniels is not a guy who's been out front. You might get a nicer version of Bill Belichick as you move forward with this, but that's okay. Do you want to win games? Do you want to be a championship caliber team? And I think those are the important things that people need to look at and really think about. Now, we look at, Mo, this hire or these hires in the last couple of minutes we have together tonight here on Silver and Black today on the Mighty 1090. Um, you look at this and you look at the AFC. Because the AFC this year, and we saw it in the playoffs, just unbelievable what happened in the playoffs with the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, you name it. Um, when you look at the you look at the conference, and we'll talk about the AFC West in a second, you look at this conference, um, the Raiders, in my view, don't have a ton of time. This can't be a two to three year buildup. You got to get moving quick. Mark Davis has got to pay the dollars necessary to get it done. And Dave Ziegler's got to make strong moves quickly to make sure this team keeps up with the pace, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, that's why I think you keep Derek Carr, because if you get a young quarterback, you got to wait for now him to develop. Now, I, I think with Derek Carr in that defense, you can you can just pick up where you left off a, a 10-7 and 7 playoff team. But you said it. Chargers have Justin Herbert. And I know the Raiders got in over the Chargers in the last week of the season, but Justin Herbert isn't going to go anywhere, and he's probably going to get better. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, probably not going anywhere. So if you want to compete in that division, in that conference, you got to win games right away. And, and I, I think I tweeted this, that with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler coming over from the Patriots, now they're used to winning rings. We just talked about that. They're not they're not satisfied with just play. They're used to winning rings. It has to click right away because if they say, look, we won in New England, that's not that's not going to resonate with the team. <laughs> <laughs> that, no. They have to do it in Vegas and show results because the players have to buy in really quick. Because if, if the game start, if they start off with a 0 and 2, 0 and 3, 0 and 4, players are going to be like, well, that worked in New England. It ain't working here. So it has to click right away for the Raiders to get off to a good start and to have a, a not a good rebuild, but a good retooling under a new regime. Yeah, and, and everybody wants to discount right now Denver, but Denver is a good quarterback away from being a lot more competitive than they are. The other thing, too, is just, just a quick note about the, about the Chiefs and Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, amazing talent, no question about it. I don't think he's getting better, though. I'm not, I mean, he's from a talent perspective, he's, he's top quarterback, in my view, from a skills perspective. Uh, but, but I look at him, and I look at the Raiders, and I say, you know what? If you can play at a higher level, as we saw, the Chiefs, when they get on fire, yes, they're hard to beat, but they're not unbeatable. Everybody thought they were unbeatable. Even I, when they played the Bengals, I thought it was going to be a blowout. I texted you guys, uh, much to my chagrin, as I was sitting there at the end of the game thinking... Boy, I'm telling Mo and Evan that that they're going to get blown out, and here they are. It's it's a great game, and they're about to win. 
and and you go into the AFC West, and like you said, Justin Herbert will get better. Raider fans don't want to give the kid credit; he's a good quarterback. Um, you see what the what the the Chargers are doing. They had a they had a rookie coach. He's going to learn from his mistakes and get better. To go backward on a quarterback, even if you don't like Derek Carr, to go backward, it wouldn't be prudent. It wouldn't be smart. You'd be setting yourself back, and you might never catch up. Mo, I mean, you look at what the Bills are doing on defense. The Chiefs got better on defense. They still need to get better. Uh, the Broncos are pretty good on defense in the division. And then, of course, you have the Ravens who are looking to maybe retool a little bit. Bengals are getting better. Uh, what does the team have to do to keep up all the way around? I, I think they just need to draft a lot better. And that has been a problem with the Raiders recently. I think their free agent class did pretty well. A lot of the Gus Bradley guys came in, played well, filled in when they had to. But the Raiders have to be better at drafting. And I think that's why the Champ Kelly edition is so important. I mentioned a couple of names early in the show, but just to go back, David Montgomery in the third round, Darnell Mooney, who's their best wide receiver now that A-Rob is probably out of free agency in the fifth round, Jalen Johnson who in the second round, starting, starting cornerback. So the bears are able to pick up some guys in the second, third, fourth, and fifth round. Those guys are starters that are playing significant roles and i think champ kelly coming over to the to the raiders will help dave ziggler and help the raiders draft a lot better in the years going forward yeah amazing and uh, it's as crazy as it is uh we're out of time my friend i mean the show went by so quick this week uh so much to talk about and i know we're going to be talking a lot more uh about what this tandem will be doing over the next several weeks we'll see obviously uh the super bowl coming up next week we'll talk about the super bowl as part of this show and of course we're devoted to talking silver and black uh, and talking Raiders football. But as we move into this offseason, and, and Mo, if you have not read his stuff up on Bleacher Report, he covers the entire NFL. And uh, we're going to get into the Super Bowl next week. We're going to also get into the postseason. We'll do a lot more general NFL, of course, tied in with what the Raiders are doing. Mo, as always, my friend, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with my partner in this thing. Uh, lots to talk about. We'll see what the week brings, and we'll recap it right here next week. All right, appreciate you, my friend. Really quick, everyone, Raiders, the Raiders filling up their coaching staff. I'll have a column coming out on Sports Night talking about some of the key highs that they picked up over the past week. That's right. So follow Mo on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. Read his stuff on Bleacher Report and then his Raider-specific stuff. He does Raider stuff for Bleacher Report, too. But if you want to read his Raider stuff, you can go up to sportsnot.com. You can catch me there as well. Happy to have a conversation with you. And check out uh, silverandblacktonight.com for all the audio and for the archive of this show. Until next week, Southern California, this has been Silver and Black Tonight, only here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio.